is best-selling author John Warrelow, author of Built to Sell, and actually creator of the Value Builder System. Thank you for joining us today, John. Hey, thanks, Peter. Good to be with you. So, Built to Sell, I mean, you wrote that book, it must be 10 years ago. Yeah, we're coming up on the anniversary. What, I have to ask, what prompted you, what inspired you to actually write that book? That's really a specific book, isn't it? It is. It is. It actually came out of my own personal experience. I, I used to run a quantitative market research business. And we had big clients. Peter. Like We worked with the big banks and technology companies like IBM and Dell. And I thought I was building a really valuable company. We had like five or six million bucks in revenue and you know, a good team. And so I came to the conclusion I wanted to sell it. So I went to see a guy named Peter uh, uh, Perry, excuse me, Perry Mielli in Toronto. And I said to Perry, like, you know, we've got five or six million bucks in revenue, we've got all these great clients. What do you think it's worth? And he said, well, probably depends on the answer to a couple of questions. And I said, okay, shoot. And he said, well, you do market research. So who does the research? And I said, well, it's my research guys. And he said, okay, let me get this straight. You, America Express hires you and it's the research guys doing the research. Aren't you personally involved in doing some of that research for these big clients? And I came clean and said, sure, I'm involved a little bit in the research. And he said, okay, great. So who does the selling? And I'm like, oh, those are my sales guys. And he says, okay, well, hold on a second. You're selling to Microsoft and IBM. Clearly, you're probably still involved in some of those conversations. Those big companies aren't going to do business with someone. They don't know the owner of like a small company. And I said, okay, fine. I, you know, I'm involved in some of the selling as well. And he said, great. So let me get this straight. Your market research company, you're involved in the research. You're also involved in the selling. And I'm like, yeah. And he kind of peers down his nose over his glasses at me and says, John, I, I can't sell your company. There's nothing to sell here. It, it's worthless. And I mean, for me, Peter, that was oh, gut-wrenching, you know, to be called this company that in my mind was worth lots of money because, it, it, you know, it was everyone had told me, oh, you can sell your client list. Right. Oh, all those amazing customers, you're going to you're going to get acquired for sure. And it was just a cold shower. But it really inspired me to try to learn what made a business sellable. And and through Perry's help and a lot of other folks along the way, coaches and advisors along the way, uh, we transformed that business into uh, a sellable company. It was acquired by a publicly traded company on the New York Stock Exchange. And and I wrote the book, Built to Sell, in part because I wanted to sort of try to communicate some of the lessons I learned in that process uh, from Perry and others about how do you make a, an owner-dependent SME, small business owner, in, into, a, into a more transferable asset. And that's probably the, that's the interesting bit because a lot of people right now, I mean, the pandemic has and lockdowns has really kind of devastated a lot of businesses. And a lot of people are going to be looking at their exit strategy but their exit strategy isn't looking too good right now. Why do you think a lot of businesses don't take the time to actually think about the end game? 
I think it's it's in part because the you know we are hardwired I think as entrepreneurs to 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 solve problems right and the most immediate problems are always right in front of us they're the customer who needs a quote they're the employee who's dissatisfied they're they're always that very and it gives us I think if we're honest with ourselves a bit of a uh, an adrenaline bump to solve a problem um, you know I don't know if you've ever done the Colby index Peter do you, do you know Colby I've, I've loosely heard of it, never done it. Okay, similar to Myers-Briggs or, or, or you know, any of the, the personality assessments. Colby, run by a woman named Kathy Colby, uh, assesses people on four dimensions. Uh, one, and, and by the way, nobody's bad or good. It's just every, we all have a little bit of everything in, in us. Uh, what she discovered was that there are these four dimensions. The first um, is one called Fact Finder, where you look for information before making decisions. The second is called follow through, which is where you build patterns and processes. The third is called quick start, where you're always coming up with new ideas. And the fourth is implementer, meaning you're good at building things with your hands. And I remember I was in a group of entrepreneurs at a meeting and, and we all had done our Colby. And we all put our hands up in the, in the facility and said, okay, how many of you have got high fact finder? And about half the hands went up in the air. How many of you have high follow through? This is the you know designing processes, and like three of sixty hands went in the air, right? Wow. And then how many of you have a high quick start over seven or more on a scale of one to ten? And virtually every hand went in the air, right? And so what that drove home to me is that for most of us as entrepreneurs, we love the ideas, we love the solving problems, the adrenaline rush that comes with that, um, but the process of selling a business is almost the opposite. It almost requires more discipline where the, the, the payoff is, is years into the future. And, and that's where I think we have this sort of mismatch, I think, a lot, where what gives us a, a quick adrenaline rush uh, is, is oftentimes the exact opposite of what will make your business more valuable. And that's interesting because what can happen is you spend a lifetime in that adrenaline rush, then comes the time to sell the business, in a business owner's valuation on their own business isn't necessarily the multiples involved. Very often the biggest multiple involved is their sweat equity. How mm. many years they've spent working hard. And that just doesn't cut yeah. the mustard these days. It doesn't. And, and I'm sure you've seen this as well. And I think, you know, I think in, in a lot of cases, the popular media, the business pundits, the journalists and stuff, they, they, they reinforce this mistake that we make as entrepreneurs, which is to be a rainmaker for our company. Right. So you've you've heard all the, the, the noise about, oh, find out what you're really good at and, and just do that. Well, guess what? Most entrepreneurs are good at selling. They're good at influencing. They're the number one rainmaker for their company. And so virtually every best selling author says, great, you should really do more selling. You should be the front person for your company. Well, of course, that is a recipe for creating a business that plateaus when you run out of hours in the day. No more hours in the day, no more value in your company. And it plateaus. And most entrepreneurs throw their hands up in the air and say, okay, well, I guess I have a lifestyle business then. But the problem with a lifestyle business is they're running on a treadmill. It's a lifestyle business as long as they're putting in 60 hours a week. But in order to really punch through that, one has to decide to invest those same skills and sales and marketing and rainmaking into building systems that other people can do the rainmaking. 
And again, it doesn't come with the adrenaline rush that making a big sale or winning a new client has, but that's effectively the process. And that's really what I talked about in Built to Sell is this idea that you know, the protagonist in the book is this guy, Alex Stapleton, who is the rainmaker for his company and is trying to figure out how does he get this thing beyond him. And part of what his coach and mentor teaches him is that, look, you're good at selling because you're the industry expert, right? You, you, you know everything there is to know about he was in the marketing services space. What you've got to do is, is somehow transfer that into the mind of, of, of first and second year salespeople. And they're going to thrive on repetition, right? So every time you customize your product or solution, that's going to be a step backwards for those salespeople. So you got to pick something that they can sell, standardize it, and, and, and train them to do what you do. How do you overcome or how do you suggest an entrepreneur overcomes the two objections that kill me the most? Number one, I don't have time to train them. Or number two, they can't do it as good as I can do it. Because I hear that <laughs> all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, on the latter, I can't do it as well as they can't do it as well as I can. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you probably are the best salesperson in your organization. The, the challenge, though, is that you have a worthless company. And I know that's hard to hear. I've heard it firsthand from Perry, and I found it incredibly difficult to hear. But if you are the rainmaker, your business is virtually worthless. What you would eventually have to succumb to is an earnout, where you pass your business down to another generation of owner, you sell it to a private equity group, but you're not getting paid up front for your business. For the most of the part, your business is going to be paid over time. And then you're an employee in, in an organization that you don't control. And that's the worst of both worlds. So, you know, as strong a medicine as it may sound, you, you've got to find other people to do some of the selling for you. And that may mean that you're not necessarily as successful. Your close rates may not be as good. Your conversion rates may not be as high. And, and that's okay. Again, it comes down to what are you chasing? Are you chasing the hamster wheel of the next deal uh, which is going to always put a ceiling on which your company will ever be worth to anybody else, or is the goal to build a valuable company? And even though, and this is where I get a bit, a bit, uh, a bit on my high horse. <laughs> um, you know, we as a society value growth, right? It, you know, uh, every awards competition recognizes top line revenue growth. Every club or organization, you know, puts top line as their, as their primary sort of arbiter of who gets in. And I think we do ourselves a tremendous disservice because there is, uh, there is in, all, in many cases, very little relationship to the size of your company and the value of it. Let me give you an example. So I just did a podcast on Built to Sell Radio. This is uh, a guy I've actually interviewed a couple of times named Rob Walling. Rob built a company called Drip, and he focused on some of the things we talk about in the book, Built to Sell and about and, and Value Builder. He talked about like, building a differentiated marketing positioning, um, ensuring that he was not the primary rainmaker for the company, all the kind of stuff we've talked about today. He built it up to $2 million in turnover, about a million five pounds of turnover. And he started to entertain offers of between eight and 12 times top line revenue. Like life changing money for a $2 million company. Contrast that with another interview I did with a guy who I won't share his name because it it's not a very 
great outcome. He built a company, $15 million in sales, but was always on the hamster wheel, right? Doing all the selling himself, very seasonal business, ended up selling his business for 25% of one year's revenue. The business was a 15, a business was a $15 million company, top line. So it would have been much more prestigious, much more, uh, you know, attention would have been would have been granted to him than Rob Walling, who was running the two million dollar business. But Rob's business was worth a, a multiple more than the guy who was building the fifteen million dollar company. And so again, I think we do a service a disservice by just myopically focusing on the top line. And if I had somebody who said, you know, yeah, but they don't do it as well as I do. And my response would be, sure, but do you want to run on a treadmill forever or do you actually want to build something that is of value? And if, the, if you want to do the latter, I think you have to swallow the, the, the poison, no, or not the poison pill, the, the, uh, the, the, the pill that says, I've got to train others to do what I do best. So people are going to be listening in, people are, and a lot of people will be able to relate to this. But they're going to say, well, where do I start? How do I start making the change? Because a lot of people are institutionally conditioned to work the way that they've been working and they continue to do so. What advice would you give to the entrepreneurs tuning in with that question? Yeah, identify your TVR. TVR stands for Teachable, Valuable, Repeatable. And so what you're going to do is think about all the products and services that you sell today and score them on a scale of one to 10 to the degree to which you can teach employees to deliver them. Give this score out of 10, each, each service and product on the whiteboard out of 10. The second attribute is valuable, which is how uniquely are you positioned to provide that service? If it's a commodity that they can get from lots of other providers, give it a zero. If it's something that you really are the only game in town that you have a virtually monopoly on, give it a 10. The third attribute is repeatable. And this refers to the purchase cadence of your customer base. Is this a product or service that your customers have to buy on a regular basis? If so, give it a 10. If not, give it a zero. And then simply look at all of the services that you've scored and identify which ones are the highest and which ones are the lowest? The lowest ones are easy. Those are likely the, the ones you can jettison right away with not having, without having a huge impact on, 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 on your overall business. Because if they're low value uh, products and services, they're probably low margin. They're probably very dependent on you to deliver. And therefore, you get, a, you get a big uptick in lifestyle benefit without necessarily taking a hit on profitability by getting rid of some right. of them. Then the focus has got to be on the things that are highest scoring and identifying what it is that that you could offer that would be TVR. I'll give you an example based near where you are, Peter. There's a, uh, a company called the School Photography Business. They're based in Danbury, England. And the School Photography Business looked at all the different photography that they did prior to focusing on schools. They looked at all kinds of different photography, weddings, rugby teams. And they realized that the school photographs that they took were TVR because they weren't really that artistic photography. You could teach a relatively young photographer to take the school photographs, talk kids to the back, short kids to the front. It was valuable to headmasters in the UK because they'd come up with a five-minute formula, getting kids in and out of the classroom in five minutes, which at the time was distinct and unique from the other people doing it because they were 
much slower to get kids in and out of a classroom. So it was valuable to headmasters who were the purchasing decision maker. And it was repeatable because we as parents want to document the growth of our kids, right? We buy our those school photographs every single year. And so they decided instead of doing rugby teams and weddings and all the other photography, they decided to just focus exclusively on school photographs. And it's an example of a company that scaled quite well beyond the owners because they chose to do one thing and it met the TVR criteria. So obviously if people want more information about the stuff we spoke about today, they really need to get your book built to sell. The stuff that we've spoken about today is duly covered in the book. Would there be any other advice you would give business owners coming through the pandemic, coming out of lockdown, really when it comes to relation to thinking about the value of their business? Well, it's a great opportunity to, to re, uh, refocus, right? I think a lot of entrepreneurs and SME owners through 2020 were, were really in survival mode, right? They were, they were just grabbing cash wherever they could, uh, weren't focused on the strategy. They were really very tactical. And, and I think hopefully, knock wood, we will be out of this pandemic uh, relatively soon. And it gives us a, an opportunity to restart. I think, what is the business that I want to create? Um, do I want to run on the hamster wheel or the treadmill, or do I want to create something that is truly valuable, transferable, that I could transition to somebody else? And if the answer to that question uh, is yes, then I, then I think uh, you know, applying some of the principles in the book would make some sense. In fact, you could actually retitle your book, Rebuilt to Sell, because a lot of people right now are going to be rebuilding again due to the devastation that the lockdown over such a sustained period of time has actually had on the business. And actually, probably the economic landscape has changed anyway, which means businesses are going to have to change. So probably now is the ideal opportunity to do that. Well said. That's the 10th anniversary edition right there, Rebuilt to Sell. <laughs> and you heard it here first. Now, if people want more information about you, they want to connect with you, what's the best way of doing that? builttosell.com and there's a little button in the top right corner that says free gifts and there you've got an eight-part video series on the drivers of value the nine subscription model white paper lots of gifts there so just free gifts at uh, builttosell.com and i can also catch you on your podcast right yeah Built to Sell radio and if you opt in there you'll have an opportunity to to uh, to subscribe to Built to Sell radio where i interview a different entrepreneur who sold their company every single week been doing it for five years and and, uh, and love doing that Wonderful. Well, once again, thank you very much for your time today, John. It's been amazing having you on the show and looking forward to having you again on another episode. And for those of you that have listened in today, if there's anything that's resonated with you, you need a bit more information, you want a bit more clarity around some of the concepts, head over to balka.com and get in touch. And most importantly, remember, failing to learn is learning to fail and please stay safe.